Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Transformed Sales Podcast. Today, I am so delighted to have Barbara Spector with me. Let me tell you a bit about Barbara. Her career spans over three decades. She has worked in talent management, mindset, and transformative sales strategies. These days, her specialty is helping executives understand and remove the roadblocks that affect their top line revenue and bottom line profitability. Barbara Spector is a nationally recognized thought leader who helps optimize Salesforce development strategies for executives at leading brands throughout the country. She specializes in inside-out ways of thinking that move her audiences to drive growth in their organization. So three decades. Tell us, how did you start your career and how did you get to where you are today? Well, thanks for asking, Wesley, and I appreciate that. I was always second in command. I was the VP of sales. I was the executive VP of sales. And I always had the responsibility to drive the growth, but I never had the authority to make the decisions. Mm. And after working for enough companies where I was frustrated because I thought some of my ideas were actually a little better than the ideas that they were putting forth to drive growth, I thought, you know, it's time for me to go out on my own. So in 1997, I just took a flying leap. And one of the things that I noticed that was the theme of my business was that all of these firms that I had worked with previously really didn't understand how to hire great salespeople. They didn't know how to develop them and they didn't know how to keep them. So they were shooting in the dark. They were using guesswork. They had high turnover as a result. They had salespeople leaving and I figured I could do a better job and focus on that. So that's what I've been doing for the last, actually, 27 years now, almost three decades. Wow. So when you were still in the corporate realm, what were some of the things that you saw that really made you say, this isn't right? Like, this is so wrong. What were some of those key indicators, oh. those red flags? One of the first things that came to mind immediately was they hadn't any idea about how to hire right. So companies, unfortunately, because the average hiring manager is not a recruiter per se, and they don't spend their day from nine to five doing interviews, they were using their gut to make hiring decisions. Mm. And what they would find is that they'd fall in love with the candidate for all the wrong reasons. They wouldn't use some tools like really strong sales assessments ahead of time that would pre-screen the candidate, bring in the ones they needed and eliminate the ones that would be wasting their time with. That was one thing that I saw was going on that was a, a biggie. The other thing that I noticed was that if they hired the right person, they didn't really have a way to get a handle on their selling competencies. When the salesperson didn't perform well, they would be scratching their head and saying, well, you know, I wonder what it is. It must be that they don't know how to close. And so they'd throw them into sales training on closing, or they, would, they didn't know how to ask the right questions. So what I was able to do was actually provide them with a diagnostic tool to help them go down to the root cause of what caused salespeople to not perform well, rather than just looking at symptoms. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. So what are some of the things that happen as a result of not having a very strong practice for hiring and identifying and onboarding oh. these salespeople within the organization? Great question. So the bane of most CEOs is that they can't forecast because the salesperson without the right correct selling skills, bloats a pipeline up with deals that really stand no chance of closing. Mm. Right? And then on top of that, they have the salesperson themselves has some mindsets that really inhibit their ability to use even good selling skills that they have. 
And I can talk to you a little bit about that too. Okay. Share some of those sales skills, those mindset sales skills. Sure. So there's a number that are really critical. One is, is that salespeople tend to buy into stalls that prospects give them without realizing the real reason that they're buying into the stall. So we've all heard these three. Oh, I love what you've got, Wesley Ann, but you know me and my partner, we need to think it over. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, Wesley Ann, we love what you're offering, but you know, we're not crazy about your pricing. We're going to go price shopping. Mm. Or we love what you've got, Wesley Ann, but you know, there's three other companies we want to talk to before we make a decision. Mm. Now, do you have any idea why salespeople accept those stalls? Why? <laughs> because when they're a consumer and they're going to make a significant purchase, they do it one of those three ways. I'll give you an example. So I want to buy a new flat screen TV, big one, 65 incher for my den, right? I go into Costco or I go into Best Buy or wherever, you know, we might have a good electronics store and I see exactly what I want, exactly the brand, exactly the price I want to spend. But if I'm a think it over buyer, I'm going to leave and I'm going to think it over mm-hmm. before I make the decision. Yeah. I might come back the next day or it's the right price. But, you know, I think, well, maybe if I go to these two other stores, I'll get a better deal. Mm-hmm. Or I'll go, well, wait a minute, this is a, a Sony TV. Maybe I should be looking at LGE and I should be looking at Vizio. And so here's what happens to us with a salesperson. If they don't know that that's how they buy They go into a meeting with a prospect, they hear one of those stalls, and they say to themselves, "Hmm, that makes sense to me, that's what I would do. And it doesn't mean they never close the deal, but they have to go back and have another meeting and maybe another meeting instead of understanding that they forgot to take their consumer hat off when they went into the sales meeting as a seller. Yeah, that's pretty insightful because I don't think that as salespeople or as sales leaders, we really equivocate what how we buy a home or a car or even a computer to the way that we are accepting those stalls or those pushbacks from our actual buyers. And if we think about it, like my, I was actually um, doing something with my mom and she was like, you move so fast. You move really, really fast for me, Wesley. So I need you, you know, hey, slow down a little bit sometimes. And that's how I am. I move fast. So if I am working with the client, I understand that they don't move as fast as I do. So I have to realize that. I have to step into their world because I like quick decisions. I like data, doom, 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 why I need it, and I'm done. I'm not a shop around person. You can convince me and I'm good. But most people don't buy like that. And so we have to take what our personal convictions and the things that we do, we have to kind of take those hats off and step into the buyer's world and really understand their buying cycle is not necessarily aligned with our selling cycle. Exactly. You hit the nail on the head. That's just one of them. The other one that we see all the time is that a lot of salespeople would rather be liked than to close business. Mm. And that might seem strange because we always hear everybody wants to work with people that they like and trust, right? Mm -hmm. That's not what I'm talking about. This is a different kind of love. This is the salesperson who knows they need to either push back a little bit with that prospect for that prospect's own good or make them think by asking a tough question and they hold back because, oh, maybe they will offend this person, this buyer, and they won't be liked. So having the need to be approved of gets in the way of salespeople all the time. Not everybody, but many people. And you know, it's such human behavior. Like, 
I want to be liked. I want this person to like me. I want that person to like me. And I love saying your spouse, your parents, your siblings, your kids need to like you, but your customers don't have to like you. They need to respect you. They need to know that you are bringing them value, but they don't need to like you. You have enough friends and they have enough friends. So let's make sure we have a firm boundary here. So from your standpoint, these skills, these things that you see within salespeople, how does that bubble up and cause challenges or tension or issues for the sales leader? Well, first of all, the sales leader doesn't necessarily understand that some of the thought processes going on in the mind of a salesperson are hidden away. And so all they see is what's happening on the surface, that the salesperson isn't closing deals, that they get to a certain point in the transaction and then it seems like they never go any further. Let me give you an example. So let's use the need for approval as a, for one. Oftentimes those individuals, either they won't hunt for business because if they get any pushback from the prospect, they'll say, thank you very much, and they'll hang up the phone. Or now they have somebody on the fire, they've got somebody that they're working with, but when they get to closing, they get uncomfortable asking closing questions. Mm -hmm. And so the deals never close. So it's really, really important for sales leaders to understand what the hidden mindsets are of the salespeople. And when they're strong, when salespeople don't have those as an issue, they really enhance their selling skills. Mm. They actually make them stronger. Mm. That's good. That's good. So really knowing the things that make a salesperson tick and the things that don't make them tick, that helps the sales leader really have a stronger team and actually empowers them. So as you were in the corporate arena and you were having challenges and struggles, you didn't have all of these tools and these data. So what were some of those challenges and struggles that you had to kind of figure out on your own without using the data? What I would say is it was really hit or miss and it took too long. So instead of being able to use diagnostical tools or assessment tools to get right to the heart of the matter quickly, We would have to have many conversations. We have to watch and observe the salespeople. We ultimately were just sort of hunting and pecking at what was the issue rather than be able to empirically and scientifically get to the answers that we needed to have. Does that help? Yes, 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 absolutely. So data, I love to say data drives decisions, right? And so when we think about how we use data or how data shows up, it allows us to be more informed And it allows us to lead our team as well as lead ourselves better. Yeah. And I have an expression I like to use. You can't fix problems that you can't measure. Mm. Tell us more about that. Well, apropos of what you're just saying, if you have some empirical data, some scientific data, some objective data, right, you can get right to the heart of what's going on, but you can't fix things if you can't empirically measure them. So if I know, let me give you an example. So if I can know that my sales team, for example, is only 50% effective at hunting for new business, then I can do something about it. Or if I know that Fred and Alice and John and Mary, right, are superstars and I understand what the components are that cause them to be so good, then I can put people on the team into the appropriate trainings that would bring them up to the level that the superstars are at. But we can't do that just by observation. We can't do it just by, you know, talking to people. We have to have some effective measurement tools. Mm. 
I actually do something called a sales MRI. Okay. Um, it's a very involved, and it looks at the entire sales organization, but it really gets to the heart of what are the issues, where are the strengths, where are the gaps, and what are we going to need to do to get where we need to go, which is raising top line revenue, bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. A sales MRI. So tell us, um, you know, when I think about an MRI just in general, you know, you go in a tube and it's looking at your soft tissue, seeing if there's anything that the naked eye can't see that is broken or bruised or anything. So what is a sales MRI? It's just like that, except that it's for a sales force. So we take a deep dive into the sales people, sales manager, sales VP. We even look at their systems and processes. It looks at everything that you can't see on the surface, just like an MRI. That's why we call it an MRI. So think of it like this. It asks enough questions that you can ultimately diagnose the problem. Instead, what most companies do is they look superficially because they don't have any other means of doing it. It would be like going to a doctor and him asking you two or three questions because you came in with chest pains, right? He only asks you a couple of questions and then schedules you for open heart surgery, right? The surgery's done. You've gone through all this stress, all this expense, but guess what? You only had indigestion. Yeah. (laughs) Right? So we're not looking for the superficial problems. We're looking to dive deep and get at the root of what's causing sales organizations to not succeed. Because the bane of most CEOs and most companies is that they're frustrated, their pipelines bloated, there isn't enough new business, especially these days, to make up for it. And if they had a means to dig in, really dig in, right? Just like that. You know, we're not going to put anybody in a tube. We do it a different way. (laughs) But it's the same concept. You got it. Looking right inside there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, as we uh, wrap up this conversation, I was wondering, do you have a free gift or anything that you want to give away to the audience? Yes, I do, actually. I put together a list of the nine most prevalent hidden sales mindsets. As I said, if they're in the positive, they really foster growth. If they're in the negative, they take away from it. So there's a description of what the nine mindsets are that we think are most important and the four tips of what to do about it. And our gift is called http colon slash slash theguide.vip. And it's a special report, and we'd love your audience to pick up on that because it will really be an eye-opener for them. Awesome, awesome. Well, Barbara, thank you so much for sharing your time, your talent, and your expertise with us today. We greatly appreciate it. Thanks so much. I was so glad to be here. Awesome. And that was another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. In all that you do in every day, transform yourself, your leadership, and your mind at least 1%. Until next time.